Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Continue our series, 1 John, Light and Love. And we only have two weeks left of this. This week and next week we'll be wrapping this series up. And so uh, really encouraged and looking forward to next week's, our next series, which we'll talk about shortly. But 1 John chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 5. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Death Defeated. Death Defeated. And let's start with verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And we're just going to pause there. We need to, to get this right first before we continue into the following passages. Because if we get this right, it transforms every aspect of how you see your life, how you enter life, how you approach Monday morning tomorrow, right? Everything changes if we get this right. And notice the war language that's used here. Conquers the world, right? What's it talking about? Are we talking about world domination? Some think so. There's some theologies that think that if Christians advance enough, the culture will become better and usher in the kingdom of God. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. Actually, culture will be getting worse. That's what Jesus says right before he returns. So, what does it mean? What does it mean to conquer the world? Well, we're going to ask two questions and Lord willing, give two answers. Because what we need to see here is that the war is, the war is raging, but it's a spiritual war that's at hand. We're in a spiritual war, and I think we get taken off guard by this. We're in a spiritual war. When you come to Christ... The war begins to rage. I don't know if somebody walked you through that when you became a Christian. When you say, Jesus is my Lord, things didn't become all unicorns, puppies, and cotton candy. Did you guys know this? That's not been my walk, at least. And it's not biblical, right? There's a spiritual war that's raging. Life is better by far. But the war is raging. This is what we see here. And there's eternity at stake. So two questions we're going to ask and answer is question number one, who is being conquered? And we're going to peel back the layers on that. And question number two, who is the conqueror? And you may see this thing is pretty clear, but we're going to peel it back anyway. So question one, who is being conquered? It says the world. What does that mean? Well, I think in 1 John, as we've walked through these several weeks of this series, you could say the, the false teachings of what John calls the Antichrist. You could say the fight against the sin that we have, I think it's bigger and more pervasive. I think what we see here is that the world that's being conquered is Satan himself, which the Bible gives all kinds of titles, the adversary, the evil one, liar, all these things that we're going to see. But when we see Job, chapter 1, we see that God has given Satan limited power on earth. The key word is limited. God is still sovereign, but Satan has limited power. Jesus says, calls him the ruler of this world in John 12. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 calls him the God of this age, and that age means world. And then as we see next week in 1 John 5.19, John says the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So you can easily connect the world to the power that Satan has in a limited, temporary fashion. So we know Satan has been defeated and will one day ultimately 
be defeated, which leads to the second point of this first question. So Satan's been defeated, so has death. Death has also been defeated. And when we talk about death, listen, we all know that we're going to die, right? It's encouraging. Did you come here for encouragement this morning? Listen, you're going to die. If that surprises you, I'm sorry. At some point, you're going to die. But it doesn't end there. The death we see is the eternal separation from God because of our sin. This is a death that has been defeated. 1 Peter 5 gives us this encouragement to be alert because we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking to whom he can devour. This is a spiritual warfare that we're in, actively looking for those whom he can devour. And those whom he can devour is going to be Christians. He doesn't care about the non-Christians because they're already on the path of separation from God. This is why the war is raging, yet we are called more than conquerors, which we'll get to in a minute. That's why I got sick to my notes. Listen, I get ahead of myself. Don't ask questions. We got to get going. All right, so I got sick to my notes. It's crazy. Jesus calls him a thief in John 10. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And he calls him the father of lies in John 8. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. And this is where we get caught up. This is where we get trapped. Because we believe the lie that sin satisfies. We believe it. We believe like, it'll just make me feel good. And it does, right? It brings satisfaction for a minute. But really, it cultivates a craving for more. It doesn't satisfy ultimately. The truth of sin is it satisfies temporarily but leaves a lasting separation if something isn't done to cover the sin. This is the death that we're talking about, a lasting forever separation from God because of sin. And what we see goes back to the initial creative order. God created everything, and he created man and woman and gave them a couple commands. One, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, which I always tell which men read their Bible, because if you knew what that meant, there'd been a whole lot of amens right now. Just saying, read it, it's in there. Be fruitful, multiply. It's a command that the Weatherspoons, if you know our family, we take serious. We got a lot of kids. So he gives this command to be fruitful and multiply. Then you see. Enjoy it. I've created it to enjoy for you, but don't eat from the one tree. He says this, if you do, you will certainly die. Then what happens? Adam and Eve are... This is the deceiver, the father of lies, the adversary, the enemy, Satan, the devil, in the form of a serpent. And what's he say? He says... No. No, you won't certainly die, right? Did God really say? That's where the lie starts, right? Did God really say? No, you won't certainly die. The father lies, again, lures with the seduction of sin. And we see that Adam and Eve took the bait. You know, Andy, a few weeks ago, did a really nice job of walking us through 
1 John chapter 2, specifically verse 16, which tells us these three sin areas that we're all tempted with. And it started in that garden. You remember that it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of one's possessions. And how is Eve tempted? First, it says, did God really say? So she starts thinking. And she looks at the tree that she was told not to eat from. And it says that she saw the tree was good. The lust of the flesh. It's good. Then she saw it was delightful to look at. The lust of the eyes. And it says that it, she looks at it and says it's desirable for obtaining wisdom. The pride of one's possessions. So God, God told him, don't. Satan says, he's lying. He's holding back from you. Do it. It'll give you all that you're looking for. And they did. And immediately it caused separation. And what's interesting is this is the same sin trifecta that we still follow and follow into today. Lust, eyes, pride of one's possessions. And here's the deal. If we flirt with sin long enough, we'll get hooked eventually. Here's what I mean. So my son-in-law, my son and I, we like to fish. By, by no means anglers of the West End, we're not that. But we throw some things in the water and reel them back in, right? But here's what I know. I know, I know this much. I know if I throw something shiny in the water and it looks like it swims, sooner or later, if there's a fish in the area, it's going to hit it and bite it and take it, and I'm going to grab them, right? I reel them in. That shiny thing, they grab it. This is what I also know. Maybe this is most of my fishing experience. Some of them get close enough and don't take it, but get hooked. And I drag them in too, right? There's a difference because if it's either in their mouth or like in their fin or in their gill, that's usually how I get them. Totally accident, yeah. They got close enough, they got hooked, right? One time I was reeling one in, you all know this if you've been fishing for any amount of time. You can tell a fish from like a big branch, right? There's no fight, you're just reeling in something heavy. I reeled this thing in, it was, I got a snapping turtle. Caught a snapping turtle. He wasn't biting it, just caught him. I don't have an illustration for this. I just thought it was cool. I thought I'd share it with you. So. so there's that. But here's the deal. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But whoever's in Christ Jesus has conquered death and have our sins paid for, which is the consequence. So who is conquered? Satan has been conquered. Death has been defeated. Which leads us to who is the conqueror? Well, again, it's two parts. Number one, Jesus. Jesus is the conqueror, and it goes back to the garden again. Because after the fall, after that first sin, the first rebellion, God gives a curse to man and woman. Then he turns to the serpent. He says, one day, your head will be crushed. This was looking toward to what Jesus would fully and finally do at the cross. You see, when they sinned, you remember that God said, you will, certainly, you will certainly die. But what's amazing is that when they disobeyed, when they sinned, they didn't die immediately. They should have, but they didn't. Because what God did, he covered their sin and their shame with the blood in the garden. Clothed them with an animal sacrifice. So the blood covered their sin, totally grace from the beginning. But Satan's head has been crushed. 
And this is what we see. This is what we saw. I love this, how this series follows what we celebrated last week. Is that the tomb is empty. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Like we said last week, he didn't say I am finished. He said it is finished. Sin is finished. Death is finished. Satan is finished. Your shame, guilt is finished because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. The wages of sin have been paid for. Death has been defeated, bringing life. And I love Revelation chapter 1. Jesus says this. In verse 17, he says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Okay, so forever isn't enough. Forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, meaning I have all power. I'm sovereign over everything, including the most horrendous thing that you think of. I'm still over that. Death and Hades, I hold the keys to. He is the conqueror. And what we see is Satan's sway over this world is short term. And so we endure. I know things seem awful right now. And look around. Things seem to be getting bad to worse. And Jesus said that would happen. But I will return. But he's still ruling and reigning now. 2 Timothy verse 1 tells us that Jesus has abolished death and has brought life through the gospel. The gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, that we've all have sinned. We've all fallen short. Because of our sin, we've all been separated eternally from God. That same God we were created to have a relationship with in the first place. But Jesus, living the perfect life that we could not live, dying the death that we should have died, conquered sin, death, rose again on the third day, and now gives life to everyone who believes that his blood counted for you. You may not fully understand how that works, but you know it, and it did. His blood covers your sin applied through faith. This is the good news of the gospel. It's like this. God says he's both the just and the justifier, right? So he's perfectly just, and he's perfectly love. Both those things. So how can he forgive your sin only by your faith? You've done nothing to earn it. Matter of fact, you've earned penalties. You've earned the consequences. You've earned death. But by God's grace, he's given you life through faith. How does that work? Well, it could be as simple as as think about a judge. Think about you're standing before a judge because you were speeding. Now, I know none of you all speed. You guys are law-abiding citizens. I got it. I've seen you in the fast lane going 55. I'm with you. But you're standing in front of the judge, and you owe this $500 ticket. And the judge tells you, you know what? Don't worry about it. Your ticket has been forgiven. But it doesn't make sense because you haven't paid a thing. The judge gets down from his chair and pays the fine himself. Now, in this way, your penalty has been paid for because the judge now is just but he paid for it so you don't have to. But when it comes to sin, he paid for it because you cannot. I know this is a very innocent example, but hopefully it illustrates the truth of God's justice and his grace and how that's not contradictory. Because what people say is, how, how, can, I, how can God be just and forgive something? How can God be just and turn his eye away from my sin. He didn't turn his eye away from your sin. Matter of fact, he saw all of it, past, present, and future, but he paid for all of it in himself through Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is completely 
opposed to any other world religion. Everything else says you have to work for it. To some way or another, whether it's you need to be baptized, works-based, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. You don't need to be baptized to have a relationship restored with Christ. It's faith alone and Christ alone by his grace alone. Real quick, I was talking to a neighbor this week, and he's a Muslim man, and we've had conversations just in general, and I was talking to him this week. And he made the statement that, you know, we all worship the same God anyway. He says the Muslims, and he mentioned Jewish people, Christians. I said, but it's interesting the differences revolve around Jesus. Now, I think we know this, but think about this in a minute. Because the Jews will say, Christ wasn't the Christ, or Jesus wasn't Christ. Told him he hasn't come yet. Muslims would say, Jesus was a, a prophet, noteworthy. Christians would say, he is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the Savior of the world. This is what Christians say. So Jesus still causes division. But the truth is still found in Jesus alone. He is the payment that satisfies. Which leads us to Jesus is the conqueror. But the part two of this is that so are we. The Bible says everyone who believes, everyone who confesses Jesus is Lord is saved. And I love that everyone. It's not what you've done. It's not what you did. It's not your past that shapes you. It's your faith alone that brings you into the presence of the Lord in Christ alone. This changes everything. And if we back up, we're spending a lot of time on verse 5. But if we back up to verse 4, it tells us that everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. This is a victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Our faith. Our faith is in something. Our faith is in someone. The person of work of Christ Jesus. And listen, we live in a, in a culture where everyone gets a trophy, right? Everyone gets a trophy. I know many are rubbed the wrong way with that, and I am too. Listen, I, I don't, I'm not the everyone gets a trophy guy. You know, we, the Weathersmiths are competitive. My two-year-old was trying to play basketball the, the other day, and I was swatting him. You know, listen, man, there ain't no easy wins here. But it's interesting. I, I was uh, coaching my son's flag football league you know, it was, they need a warm body. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, so I coached flag football. And every week we had to give a medal to someone that did something well, right? And our football team wasn't great, right? The coaching was. The football team wasn't. So the, the <laughs> football team wasn't great. But we had some good players. And so the first few weeks, it was really easy to award someone. You couldn't award someone with two medals, right? It had to be someone different each week. And so the first few weeks was easy. And then he got to week four, week five. And then I found myself, man, wait, you showed up today. Here's your medal, right? Like, thank you for being here. But isn't that what God's grace is? Like, you could not be good enough. You could not do enough. And so here, everyone who was on my team got a medal because they were a part of my team. So I know everyone gets a trophy, gets a bad knock, but isn't it also a reflection of the gospel? Everyone who believes is saved and has eternal life. This is good news. To which Jesus says, be courageous. Talk to his followers. Be courageous, I have conquered the world. Or the negative part of that would be, do not fear. Because I have defeated sin, Satan, and the separation that we know as death. 
Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now nothing and no one who can separate you from Christ's love. And these are the promises that we see, specifically in Romans 8, and there is no expiration date. You guys know that? Like it doesn't expire. These promises endure forever like God himself endures forever. He is unchanging. And Jesus paid the price for your sin, past, present, and get this, future. Do you know that? He has paid for your future sins. You know how I know? Because every sin that you have committed, and you've committed at least one, I know it, every sin was done after the cross. So looking ahead, he paid the price for your sin. So know that through faith alone that you are secured in Christ, in his love, been washed by his blood. Which leads us to verse 6. 1 John 5, 6 says, Jesus Christ, to which you're like, that sounds like a cuss word. Well, if you use that as a cuss word, you'd be wrong, right? Jesus Christ isn't a cuss word. Christ isn't his last name. It's his title. Messiah, Christ, Savior. Says he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three to testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. And this demands some explaining real quick. And like in most letters throughout the New Testament, you see a portion is dedicated to confronting false teaching. And this is no different. There was a guy spreading a heresy. His name was Serenus. And what he was saying is that Jesus was a man, but he was indwelled by Christ when he was baptized. And then Christ left the man Jesus before he was crucified. You see, Serenthus was influenced by both Christian theology and cultural paganism. Which is interesting because I hear a lot of conversations really among Christians even who want to take a little bit of Christ, a little bit of culture, and make a cravings-based belief system. Call it a Starbucks God, right? You can go to Starbucks and get anything you basically want. I want a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and I'll have my own coffee. Starbucks says you can make over 87,000 different drink combinations. Isn't that wild? And I would say we do the same thing with God. Well, I think God's like this, and I think God's like this. Well, this is what he was doing. He's taking culture in Christ and making his own God. In today's Western culture, we see a big emphasis on God's love, which really stands for God's love, and it lessens doctrinal significance. Which that's why I love 1 John, because 1 John makes a big deal out of God is love, and also makes a big deal that doctrine matters. That's what the next series we're going to be going through in a couple weeks, cultural church. Cultural church. Are we influenced by the culture, or is the church influencing the culture? Because I think what a lot of times happens is culture creeps into the church, and we're influenced by that more than we're influenced by God's word. Doctrine matters. That's what John's saying here, that these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, all testify to the truth. And real quick, this comes from Deuteronomy 19. When every fact that God gives us law, that only a fact can be established by the witness of two or three witnesses, the testimony of two or three witnesses, all right? So that's where this is coming from. You see Jesus referencing in Matthew 18, when he says, listen, if you see a brother or sister in Christ stumbling in sin, you're to go to them. If they don't listen to you, they refuse to see it, then you take one or two others with you. Because by the testimony of two or three, a fact 
may be established. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, every matter must be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. He also says again in 1 Timothy 5, don't accept an accusation against an elder, pastor, overseer, unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. You know, doing some research, I found in our own judicial law, there's a common law that requires an evidence of, or requires two witnesses in perjury cases. So we still see the value of this. In my own home, I have the luxury of requiring the testimony of two or three witnesses because we have six kids. Okay, okay. Everybody come together. What would you see? Right? You bunch of liars. No, I'm just kidding. My kids are great. I'm joking. But so the point is the two or three witnesses establish the truth. This is the truth that John's trying to establish here, which leads us to verse 9. If we accept the human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. Again, he says, these three agree, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, because our God has given his testimony through these things. So explain real, real quick. So the testimony of the Spirit, think about through the ages. The Spirit has moved through prophets throughout the Old Testament, including John the baptizer. The Spirit has moved in the inspiration of God's Word, the Bible. Jesus has fulfilled, conservatively, over 300 of the prophecies about himself. Again, was given by the Spirit. So we see the witness of the Spirit, witnesses of, to who Christ is. But the witness of the water is really the inauguration of Jesus' ministry at his baptism. And even at his baptism, we see the witness of the Spirit. It says the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And that voice from heaven says, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the witness of the Spirit, witness of the water, and we see the witness of his blood. And that is at, that is at crucifixion. His blood shed on the cross. The blood that is required to cover our sin and shame. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Which even then you see through his resurrection, the witness of the Spirit again. Romans 8, 11 tells us, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Which brings us to verse 10, right? The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The evidence of the Spirit works in us to convince us that Christ is who he said he was and did what he said he did to pay the price for our sins so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and that life starts right now and lasts forever. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is the news that we know because of the Holy Spirit's work. And so again, these three agree, which establishes one life-changing, life-giving truth. Verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. God has given us this life. Again, Jesus says, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life. Romans 6.23 says, wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus has defeated death. 
for everyone who believes. Which leads us to verse 12. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And my question is for you, do you know? Do you know you have eternal life? Because we all have eternal life, but it's where you spend it that matters. Has your life been restored to God through Jesus? That Jesus gives life. You know, the, many say that all roads lead to heaven, right? All roads lead to heaven. We're all going through this thing, and God cares about my motives, and we're all going to the same place anyway. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Say some John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, one of the prophets. Then he turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? And this is the question that we have to answer, every one of us. One day, we'll have to answer. You can prolong it. One day, you will have to answer this question. Who do you say Jesus is? And if you believe that Jesus is anyone else besides the Son of God who paid the price for our sins, Savior of the world, that by faith, by His grace in Him, that we have eternal life, if you say anything else, believe anything else besides that, you don't know Him. And you're stuck in your sins. And I know this is blunt, but we have to get the gravity of this. Because if you get the gravity of this, it sets you free from the bondage of slavery. We have nothing to fear because of Christ Jesus. Unless you're not in Christ Jesus. Then of course you fear death. Because there's finality in death if you're separated from God. But in Christ Jesus, he gives life. In right now life. Right now joy. Right now hope. It's not just a future thing. It's a right now thing. In Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I was reminded this morning about the prodigal son. Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son. It's a great story to illustrate God's amazing love for people that ultimately don't deserve it. You see, if you're familiar with the story, this, this son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. Another word saying, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. Anybody have teenagers? Anybody have a, a conversation? Anyway, I wish you were dead. And so, you know, it's a Jesus story because the father gives it to him, right? Let my kids say that to me. But the father gives it to him. And the child goes off to a distant country and squanders it on foolish living. And he gets to the point to where he squanders it, a famine hits, and he has nothing. And so this Jewish man is looking for work, looking to survive, and he goes to work feeding pigs. So if you know Jewish culture, that's dirty on top of dirty. And to that point, he goes, I wish I could eat what the pigs eat. I'm so hungry. This says he came to his, sense, his senses. He says, my dad's hired servants are being treated better than I am. What if I just go back and say, listen, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, forgive me. And so he does. He goes back, no doubt, reciting this in his mind. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, Dad, forgive me. And no doubt, right? And what the Bible says is that the dad saw him from a long ways off. And he ran to his son. And this is incredible. Because a couple things. 
running for a man would have been just disrespectful, right? It would be, it just didn't happen. It was looked down upon. So he ran. But on top of that, to run, you know, he's wearing a man dress. You know what I'm talking about? So he had to gird it up, hike that thing up, showing some man thighs. Again, another thing that should never be done anytime, even in 2022. Too much man thighs. You know what I'm talking about? But that's what he had to do. Because he saw his son a long ways off, and it didn't matter. He ran to him. Didn't care what people thought. And he grabs his son and embraces him. And his son tells him, I've, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. And he doesn't even acknowledge it. He tells the servants to go get his ring, go get his sandals. My son has returned. And he says this, my son, who was dead, is now alive, who was lost, and now is found. John 3.16, Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. That's so whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We've all been that son or daughter that's gone astray. God chases us down, has done everything so that you can be forgiven and have life in Christ Jesus. But it's going to take some time for us to finally surrender to the truth and have your life completely changed. I don't care how old you are. You're not on your parents' coattails of faith. It's not the things that you do. It's by faith alone that God has done everything so you can know and be known by him. And that life can start right now. So again, if you're following Christ, we need this reminder that even though we're struggling in sin, we don't remain in it. Because Christ Jesus has given us a victory and the Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to endure. So don't believe the lies of the devil. I tell you, every day when I get up in the morning, the lies are coming. How could you be a pastor? How can you go preach this message? Don't you know what you've done? Everybody ever hear those lies? How could you do this? What about that thing? What about that thing you said, that thing you did, how you treated that person? And I acknowledge it, yeah. And sometimes it's easier than others. But the difference is, I've been forgiven. Jesus' blood has washed my sins away. And so I have to remind myself of that when those lies come. So if you're following Christ, Jesus, Lord, know that you've been forgiven, that you have life. Now walk in the confidence that we have in this culture that we are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. It says, where is your sting, death? We have nothing to fear. But if you are not in Christ, if you have yet to trust in him solely, then I plead with you, do it now. Do it now. God loves you so much that he paid for your sin so that you can live with him by faith that his blood counted for you. Have you transferred your trust from yourself to your Savior? And if I were to ask you the question, how do you know that you are saved? And saved means saved from death because of your sin. Jesus snatched you out from yourself. How do you know that you're saved? If you start with, because I've done, then you're already off to a wrong start. It's not that we did, it's Jesus did, and it's done, and it's finished. 
So I'm saved because of my faith that Jesus was enough. And this changes everything. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we're going to continue worship this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond to what God is prompting in you. And that could be numerous things. I mean, by God's grace, he shows us sin areas in our own lives. By God's grace, he encourages us. Maybe you've been getting your teeth teeth kicked in by sin. You have power by the Holy Spirit, and you are more than conquerors. Maybe you need to remember that this morning, that God hasn't changed. He's still present, but maybe we need to turn from the things that we've been doing back to him who knows you and loves you. Maybe for the first time that you've seen that, I don't actually trust. I've never really trusted in the Lord. I know about him. I can quote Bible verses, but I see I need him, need his presence. I've been a crummy God. I finally surrendered. I've tried everything else like the prodigal son, and finally I've come to my senses and seen Jesus is enough. God's love is amazing. He's given you life if you believe So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing another worship song, but I want you to respond to what God's doing. And so even as we sing, maybe you just need to sit there and just pray. Maybe you need to grab someone else and pray together, have someone pray with you. We'll have a prayer team over here. We love to pray with you, pray for you, walk alongside you. Or maybe you stand and worship, singing, hands lifted in the air. I know, listen, there's some Baptists in here, I know it. You can lift your hands in church. It's going to be all right. Respond to what God's doing in your life because he is worthy of all of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. We know we're not here this morning by accident or coincidence that you've orchestrated this moment to be here, to hear your word, to be reminded of your truth, to see your goodness and your grace and to know how amazing you are and how loving you are and how gracious you are. We thank you for the reminder of Christ Jesus and the life that we're able to have in him, the confidence that we're able to have in him. And Lord, right now, I just ask that you continue to stir in our hearts, build our faith. Help us to see you more clearly, Father. And Lord, right now, just move in the ways that only you can. Father, reveal your truth to us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, move in our hearts and minds right now. Lead us to respond in a way that worships and glorifies you. And Father, we thank you for life of knowing you and being known by you because of what you did for us in Jesus. Father, we thank you. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.